Well, as we come to the end of the year 2020, it's been a really hard year for a lot of people, hasn't it? Maybe it has been for you, I don't know. Some people handle uh, pandemics better than others and economic crises. Some people handle those things better than others. But people have funny ideas sometimes of what's going to make them happy. People want to be happy. Sometimes we look in all the wrong places. I think in my own life, for example, before we get into Ecclesiastes here, I, mean, I, I tried to find happiness in sports, for example, as one of the many things. And, uh, of course, I was never good enough to be number one in the world in anything. Uh, you always find somebody better. And even people who are number one, don't, they don't stay there forever, do they? And for me, God broke my ankle to get my attention so that I could no longer play sports, at least for that season of my life. Well, some people, well, they try to find their happiness in friends, and then you find, well, friends change, and they move, you move. Uh, Friends don't always stay the same. Of course, friends are sinners just like you, and it can be challenging to find happiness in friends. Well, for some people, it's uh, like me. Well, okay, well, maybe maybe if I just find a girl find my ultimate happiness. So I got married, and I found out that even my dear wife is a sinner. Well, some people try to find their happiness in sex, find their pleasure in sex. And it's interesting, there's a story in the Bible of David's own son who took his sister, and he found that, well, that didn't satisfy him either. Well, maybe, you know, if I get married and you know, if we have our own house, and maybe, maybe, maybe then I can be happy finally in my life. And well, the first house we lived in, friends were calling it a shack. It had a re- leaking roof. It had bugs. It had rats and mice and uh, you know spiders. And we had ice on the inside of the windows during the winter. And and you, just to name a few of the issues we had, you know, it's okay. Well, I, that wasn't satisfying. And, Okay, well, maybe you know, maybe if I just go into the ministry, then I'll be happy, right? I can find my whole identity in ministry. Well, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, whatever you do without love, it's nothing. <laughs> so even even that could be struggle. Some people find try to find their happiness in having money and and what money does for them, and maybe maybe I'll feel good then. Well, money can be a root to all sorts of evils, the Bible says. We're supposed to be content with what God gives us. And so even even billionaires and millionaires are not always happy, and too many of them even commit suicide. And all these things never satisfied my soul. And if you try to go down that same route as I did, you'll find the same. My my experience, by the way, is nothing new. I'm not I'm not trying to... Uh, tell you anything hopefully you don't already know unless you're a young child and and you think uh, I, I wish somebody had taught me these things when I was a young child it's amazing what life can teach you just as it does for the human author of the book of Ecclesiastes and so it's it's nice we have a whole inspired book of scripture that clearly shows us the futility of life is life worth living and really in order to answer that haunting question Some measure of success is needed. I mean, to a certain degree, think about it. Success is in the eye of the beholder. 
Economists call job creation a success. Shareholders would call rising profits a success. Uh, 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 some worker might count uh, a pay rise a success. For you, maybe it's just, uh, man, I would just love a, a, a soulmate or an honest friend or a, maybe a different place to live or maybe a few less kilos around the waist. Success is a, a topic addressed that is it's addressed often here in the wisdom literature of Scripture, in these uh, books that we call Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. But this particular book, Ecclesiastes, offers wisdom for people who have success. This was a successful man. Well, if you believe Solomon wrote it, which uh, I do. I believe Solomon was the, the guy the Holy Spirit used to write this book toward the end of his life after he learned a lot of lessons after messing up a good portion of his life. This is a book for individuals who've gotten what they wanted out of life, or at least what they thought they had wanted out of life, and then they found that very thing to still leave them wanting. They're still longing for something, and not, maybe maybe not even sure what it is. So... Let's take a look here at what the Holy Spirit has to say in regard to our own lives. I've got a series of questions to ask you from the book, so keep your fingers ready to go. We'll have a few scriptures to look at in this book. So, this book talks a lot about meaninglessness. What is meaninglessness? Well, the preacher's basic message, you, you probably know, I hope you know, that probably the key word in the book is vanity. Futility, meaninglessness is what vanity has. The idea is it's empty. It's empty. And so he begins right here in the second verse of the book. Look what he says. Because he says, vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, exclamation point. All is vanity. And then if you move down to verse 14... He says, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. I love that phrase, striving after wind. Any of you ever tried to do that? Any of you ever caught the wind? No? Okay. So nobody wants to admit they've chased the wind. Nobody, of course, if you tried to chase the wind and, and, and grab it, you would never get a hold of it. And that's the point the Bible's making. Vanity. It means something that is considered futile, worthless, or empty of significance. And what exactly, by the way, does the preacher say that qualifies as meaningless in those two verses? Did you notice the answer is everything. Everything is meaningless. But let's look at a few specifics as he moves on through the book here. Okay? First of all, there's obvious things that he mentions in the book that are meaningless. For example, look at chapter 5. Look at chapter 5, verse 7. What's meaningless here? Chapter 5, verse 7, he says, For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. So, many dreams and many words are meaningless, if you're taking notes. He's talking about our dreams, our many words. Those things are meaningless. And then in chapter 6, verse 9, he gives another one. Pretty obvious, really. 
Uh, he says in verse 9, Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. So it's the wandering of your appetite. I don't think that's just referring to your your, your palate that might desire uh, some some chocolate or something. I don't know. But whatever your appetite is, the wandering of the appetite is meaningless. And then look at chapter 7, verse 6. Verse 6 says, For as the cradling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. So the laughter of fools is meaningless. Look at chapter 8, verse 14. Chapter 8, verse 14. There is a vanity that takes place on earth that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. So the idea there is that it's meaningless for the a good person, a righteous person to get what the wicked deserve. And then the the flip side of the coin is, well, it's meaningless for them for a wicked person to get what a righteous person deserves. Obvious, right? If you know your Bible. So obvious things are meaningless. And then in number two, we see here that uh, there's also questionable things that are also meaningless. And so the preacher turns his critical gaze upon things that might seem less obviously empty or wrong to you. These are the, the questionable, neutral things, if you will, that condemns that are condemned as utterly vain number one is pleasure pleasure is this first questionable thing that we need to examine from the text look at chapter 2 verse 1 chapter 2 verse 1 i said in my heart come now i will test you with pleasure enjoy yourself <laughs> but behold this also was vanity and so on the, then that's how he starts chapter 2. And then in the following verses, he's going to explore this a little further, exploring the emptiness and the worthlessness of pleasure. Look at verse 2. I said of laughter it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and I had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then 
I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Well, there you go. Pleasure is what the Holy Spirit mentions is the first questionable thing to be examined here. And we, we sometimes have difficulty in denouncing pleasure as vain, but certainly the Holy Spirit doesn't. The second questionable thing mentioned here is popularity. Popularity, or another way of saying that is public approval is something that is questionable for us. Look at chapter 4. Chapter 4. Look at verse 13. Chapter 4, verse 13 says, Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move under the sun along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after wind. Well, he is referring to a particular event in his life, I believe. So what episode is he referring to? Well, I can't say for sure. Perhaps, though, he's thinking about the discontentment of the people of Israel who began to... feel uh, discontented with the line of King David. Uh, If you you know your Bibles from Samuel, you know that there was an ensuing rebellion that ended up dividing the nation of Israel uh, into the northern and the southern kingdom of Israel. So whatever the preacher had in mind, his point is certainly clear in the text. The, The public is fickle. Their affections do... uh, Let's put it this way. Their affections should not be overvalued. They should not be pursued, is what the Holy Spirit's saying. Popularity is something, you might have it, but it's a passing thing. And the public is going to change their mind, or you're going to die. It's meaningless. What else is meaningless? Well, the third one is good things can even be meaningless. Yes, my friends, notice the preacher's charge extends to the very things that we call good. There are some passages here that are disturbing. At least they're disturbing to me. So what are some good things the text tells us? Well, look at chapter 11. Chapter 11 tells us that even youth and vigor are meaningless. (laughs) Yes, youth and vigor. Chapter 11, verse 10. Chapter 11, verse 10 says, Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. So the preacher is denouncing the youth and the vigor here as something, even though it's a a good thing, it's not going to bring you ultimate happiness. But what do people do? Always trying to hold off the grim reaper, so to speak, aren't they? Get some Botox injections, put some cream, you know, good 
fitness centers almost on every corner these days. It seems like, you know, right, eat some healthy stuff, take some pills, you know, right? Isn't this what we're told all the time? Try to ward off death. But it comes nevertheless. A second good thing is work. I mean, God told us to work. God gave us work. We're created in His image. God's a working, creating God. So we get to make things and do things. But work, as well as the wealth and the achievement that works brings, uh, is um, vanity, the Bible says here. Look at chapter 1, verse 3. Chapter 1, verse 3 says, What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Rhetorical question. Look at chapter 2, verse 11. Chapter 2, verse 11 says a similar thing. Verse 11 says, Then I considered all my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. So my friends, can you see the point the Holy Spirit wants you to understand? All that your hands can do and all the the work you can accomplish is meaningless. So how does the preacher respond to that particular discovery in his life? Well, look at chapter 2, verse 17. Verse 17. He says, So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind. There you go. He keeps saying striving after wind as well as vanity. It's an interesting image. Chasing the wind. I mean, is that a a good picture of pointlessness? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it actually makes your dog chasing its tail actually seem something that's intelligent and purposeful. And if you don't have a dog that chases its tail, you've probably seen one, right? I mean, what do they do? They just keep going around in circles and And some dogs actually catch their tail, right? And they bite on it. What's the point in that? That's actually purposeful and intelligent compared to chasing the wind. Because you'll never get it. So why is our work chasing after the wind? It's because whatever you amass then has to be given away. It does. And it gets enjoyed by other people. Sometimes not even people you want to enjoy Because look what chapter 2, verse 18 says. So after he says, when he says, I hated all my toil, in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. Verse 19, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be a master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. Verse 22 What is a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. 
So work is vanity. It's, it's meaningless, he says. Number three, the love of money is also meaningless. Look at chapter 5. The love of money is meaningless, he says, in chapter 5, verse 10. Verse 10 says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. So in general, the realities of this world mean that creating wealth will never be fulfilling for you. And there's two reasons for that reality in your life. Number one, you you will not have the family to leave it to, is what he's saying. If you look at uh, chapter 4, verse 8, chapter 4, verse 8, he says, One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, From whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. The second reason for this reality, my friends, is you're going to run out of time to enjoy it yourself. How many people live for the weekend or live for retirement and never really get to enjoy that? Because Look at this. Chapter 6 is quite interesting here. Chapter 6, verse 1 says, This is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them. But a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? What does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. So, so far, what we've looked at here is the various pursuits in your life that you typically pursue the, the, the Monday through Fridays. And maybe even some of your Saturdays can be taken with things like work as well. But it's interesting, the preacher moves on here and he even gets into some of the things you might do on a Sunday. He doesn't say that, but... But number four, we see here that the, the preacher says that even wisdom is meaningless. Look at chapter 1, verse 17. Chapter 1, verse 17. Interesting. This is even coming in the wisdom literature where he says, I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. 
So sometimes even wisdom can be meaningless. And then the last one we'll look at here for today is in chapter 11. We see that even the future is meaningless. Even the future is meaningless in chapter 11, verse 7. Chapter 11, verse 7 says, Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years... Let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. So, my friends, have you answered the question yet? Have you answered that question that I, that I asked you at the beginning? What does the preacher mean by everything? Because he says everything is meaningless. Well, the answer means everything. That's what it seems, right? It seems that he actually means what he says, everything. In fact, he spends 12 chapters in this monologue, and he concludes with these very words in chapter 12, verse 8. Chapter 12, verse 8, here's the, the kind of a bookend here when he says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Now, I wonder if you identify here with what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. I hope you don't think that this is one of those sermons for someone else. You know, it's the person sitting next to you, right? Well, here's what one author had to say. I'm quoting Robert Gordas. He says, quote, Whoever has dreamed great dreams in his youth and seen the vision flee, or has loved and lost or has beaten barehanded at the fortress of injustice and come back bleeding and broken, has passed the preacher's door and tarried a while beneath the shadow of his roof, end quote. Well, that would be all of us, and that's the point. So there's a couple other questions we're going to answer from this text today. Uh, the next one we need to answer is, why is everything meaningless? And then we'll, we'll look at what is the appropriate response, all right? But first of all, why is everything meaningless? Well, there's actually a clue given to you. I hope you've picked up on it. Look at chapter 1, verse 11. Chapter 1, verse 11. Chapter 1, verse 11 says, There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things, yet to be among those who come after. So do you see the point, my friends? Why is everything meaningless? Well, the, the meaningless of everything has something to do with our inability to remember anything. How many of you forget stuff? And those of you who are still young, I'll tell you what, what I've heard many times. Growing old is not for wimps. And you're going to forget things, if you haven't already. The mind is not going to get any stronger. It's going to get worse. So regardless of whatever your wealth is, your splendor, your accomplishments, you're, you're going to be eventually forgotten. Just think about some of the great people in world history, the most well-known people in history. I mean, you, could, could you name who the first emperor of China was? Who, who was the first emperor of Rome? Who was? Uh, the, could you even tell me who Stalin is? I mean... There's a great rewriting of history, which I won't get into. But 
our tendency is we tend to forget. And, and the prospect of not being remembered is something that actually is discouraging to a lot of people. And so in this next passage, uh, we, we come to the real culprit here behind our meaninglessness. See if you notice what it is in chapter 2, verse 13. Chapter 2, verse 13 says, Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, and there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness, and yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, What happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. People are forgotten. But why are people forgotten? (laughs) And the answer is, because we all die. We all die. Death frustrates our hopes, and death foils our plans. That's why. So you say, man, is there anything good in this book? <laughs> there, there is an appropriate response. So let's think about how we should respond. And to answer that question, we need to notice there's a particular phrase that occurs 28 times in this short book. And you can see an example of it in chapter 1, verse 14. A very important phrase. It's mentioned 28 times. Look what it says. Chapter 1, verse 14. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. The important phrase you need to take note of there is, under the sun. Under the sun just refers to your life is viewed entirely from an earthly perspective. In other words, it refers to your life that is considered apart from God. Life apart from God is vanity, empty, futile, and meaningless. So my friend, can you see how the preacher's honesty about sin, the fall, and its consequences helps us understand why why the world is like it is i mean without genesis 3 in the fall this this book wouldn't make any sense would it so here's the point friends this world is a bad place for your final investment how did jesus put it don't lay up treasure here on earth jesus wasn't against treasure he's just he's just telling you don't be a fool with your treasure Don't lay it up here on earth, but instead in heaven. See, the world's a bad place for your final investment because it wasn't made for that. And there is more to life than what we can actually find on earth under the sun. God has not made us to be satisfied with what is on this earth alone. And so, yes, our lives are lived out under the sun, on the earth, but our heart's desires should stretch beyond this world. And if they don't, you will live a meaningless life. Eternity goes beyond the sphere of what is under the sun. And sometimes this book is labeled godless. Sometimes. But I want to give you some hope 
It's mentioned right at the end of the book. It's not a godless book. (laughs) So look at the end of the book. Because right in the midst, or I should say at the end of Meaningless, we have a great hope here in chapter 12, verse 13. Verse 13 says, The end of the matter... Great, what's the end of what's 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 the end of the matter? All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So if your life is to count, if you want your life to have meaning, you need to remember these three points. There's three duties for you to fulfill in your life. Three duties. Number one, God says, fear Him. Fear Him. Well, that sounds like the previous book, doesn't it? Right? The beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, by the way, is just the attitude of reverence and awe that all of God's people ought to be showing Him because we love Him and respect His greatness and His goodness in his power. See, the person who fears the Lord is going to pay attention to the Bible, is going to obey what God's Word says. You're not going to be the person who's going to just play around with sin like, like it's supposed to be fun. Someone who has a real awe of God doesn't mess around with sin. You don't play with it. You kill it. You mortify it. An unholy fear makes people run away from God. He's scary. Yeah, that's an unholy fear, but a holy fear actually brings us back to God on our knees in loving submission to Him. You see the difference? So fear God. That's your first duty. Number two, keep God's commands. Keep God's commands, he says right there in verse 13. So that's helpful. See, God created life. He gave you life. And He alone knows how your life should be managed. Think of it this way, my friends. He's the one who wrote the manual of instructions for you. And so a wise person is a person who then reads that manual of instructions and obeys that manual of instructions. Of course, I'm referring to the Bible. And so the fear of the Lord must result in something. See, a right view of God is then going to result in obedient living. Otherwise, that fear is just a sham. It's not genuine. The dedicated believer is going to want to spend time with God. A dedicated believer wants to commune and fellowship with God, going to the Scripture, getting to know the Father better, and discovering what His will is, and obeying that. So you keep His commandments. And then number three, verse 14 tells us, you prepare for the final judgment. It's coming. There is a final judgment. Are you ready? Because verse 14 says, For God will bring every deed into judgment. Every deed. Back in chapter 3, the preacher told us that God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. Both. And some people may seem to get away with their sin now, don't they? That's the way it seems. Don't fret about it, psalmist said. Don't fret about that. It's coming. Their sins will eventually be exposed and judged. 
And those who have not trusted the Lord Jesus Christ are going to be doomed forever, the Bible says. So is life worth living then? Yeah. Yes. Okay, it may sound like no, but the answer is yes. If you are truly alive through faith in Jesus Christ, yes, you, you can be satisfied. You can receive life in Christ and be satisfied. So for life to have meaning, you need what actually lies beyond your earthly life. You cannot give meaning to your own life. You were created by someone who is bigger and better than you, and then for his purposes and his ends to be fulfilled in you, that is how you can be satisfied. And only from him can you learn what is meaningful and true. So that begs a question then. When we view our lives from God's perspective, what do we see from God's perspective? What do we see when we adopt the preacher's own God-centered perspective? Well, number one, my friend, we see our rebellion against God. See, this becomes evident as soon as we stop measuring our success from our own vantage point. And then we begin using God's standard. Right? Use God's standard. Is my life successful or not? That's a good thing to think about. Well, what are God's standards? Well, a good starting point would be the Ten Commandments. That's only a starting point. But then, what do we see from God's perspective? Well, not only do we see our rebellion against Him, but number two, we see the promised judgment that rebellion requires. See, what did God say? He, in the last verse of the book, God will bring every deed into judgment. See, my friends, God is a holy God. And that's the third thing you need to think about. And not only is He holy, the Bible says He's loving, so He gave us His Son to die in our place and took upon Himself God's judgment for all the rebels who believe in Him and repent of their sins. And so, i got one more question for you to consider today. Is futility final? See, we've heard a lot about vanity and meaningless and futility in the book, But consider this, friends. Is futility final? Short answer, absolutely not. It's not final. See, Ecclesiastes, some some people get really in despair and doom and gloom when they read this book. But Ecclesiastes was never meant to be a substitute for the whole Bible. I'm glad there's other books in the Bible, aren't you? See, to, to know the truth of God, we need... God's full revelation of Himself that He gives us in the whole Bible. So here's your fill-in-the-blank if you're taking notes there. See, my friends, only Jesus Christ assures us that there is something beyond the sun and beyond the grave. Only Jesus does that and assures us of that. So, here, in a sense, in a sense, the good news that we as Christians have to share in the key here to getting beyond that sun. See, the earth's under the sun. You have to get beyond that. Christ came to live, and He did. He lived the perfect life in our place, died the perfect sacrifice in my place, 
rose again in order to bring forgiveness for my greatest problem, which is my sin. And then he restores my, my fellowship back with God again. And this is good news, and it's the key to getting beyond and over that sun and to gaining life, a full life of meaning and purpose, which God intends for us, by the way. The afterlife is not something that we can simply just push away. In fact, you'll even find a verse in this book that says it's better to go to funerals than parties. You ever thought about that? Better to go to a funeral than a party. So the afterlife is not something you can just simply push aside. You need to think about it. In fact, I, I, I even I just got a book for Christmas called Living Life Backwards. It's all from the book of Ecclesiastes. I haven't read it yet, but looking forward to that. The afterlife is important for you to think about. And so it's only through Jesus Christ do we see the death of death and the birth of the new life that is something that will endure forever. So look what uh, the books of Corinthians have to say about this. Let's just start with this one. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Then in 1 Corinthians 15.58 you want, you want purpose in your work. Here you go. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So without the Lord, your work is purposeless, meaningless, empty, vanity. So you want your work to be purposeful? Notice it's knowing that in the Lord your labor is is not in vain. There's the key. So my friends, we we will find meaning only when meaning extends beyond this life. That's the idea of living life under the sun. So you got to get beyond this life, beyond this world. Think outside this world and and all the stuff in it. Here's your other fill in the blank. That only eternity with God, only eternity with God makes a life successful and worth living. In fact, this book says that God has set eternity in our hearts. God set eternity in our hearts. And what's what's frustrating and, and really sad to see is so many unbelievers try to find their identity in all the things that, that Solomon tried. And they're never happy. They're never satisfied. You know, I gotta jump out of another plane. I gotta go I gotta go bungee jumping again. I gotta take some more drugs. I gotta have some more alcohol. I gotta have some some more sex. I gotta, you know, I gotta I gotta do something else, right? They're never satisfied because, what does it say? God has set eternity in your heart, so they're they're longing for it. They're just looking in all the wrong places. Only eternity with God makes a life successful and worth living, and we're gonna find that meaning only in Christ. So there's there's the key, if you will, that opens up the book and opens up your entire life. So you can actually be happy and find happiness and be blessed and have a life of meaning and purpose. It's in Christ. Find your identity in Him and you will be blessed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, giving us this book. Would you open our eyes to 
what is vanity? May we understand and see things according to your standard, through, through your word. May we find that everything on earth under the sun without you is vanity. May we really believe that and live like it. May we learn from someone who's been there and done that. He, he got the t-shirt. And so may we uh, not only believe it, but live uh, the, the glorious truth that our greatest treasure is Christ and heaven and eternity with God. And that's what is success. And that is what is really worth living for. So, yes, may we live our lives with purpose even here and now. But, but may our affections be set on things above and not on the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.